Good morning, everybody. Great to be with you today in that last song about our need for the spirit of the living God in every area of our lives. Nothing quite as much as marriage do we need the spirit of God to be strong in our lives. I get to talk about that today. Just before I do, this commercial announcement. Uh, The book that I've been telling you about, writing on Billy Graham, is out and it's now published and we have 20 million of them here at the church. Uh, If any of you want to get these today, I'm going to be signing books after each service, both this week and next week, since I also have the joy of bringing our message about um, singleness next week. But uh, to remind you again, this is a, a simple biography on the life of Billy Graham, but they didn't approach a historian to do it. They approached an evangelist pastor. And so throughout the book, in each chapter, I find ways to move from the story of Billy Graham to the story of Jesus. So I believe that this can be very valuable for your friends, family members, co-workers, anyone that doesn't know Jesus Christ. It will have as much impact on them, I pray. Um, in fact, I've said that this may be the, the, the biggest and best evangelistic thing I've done in my whole life is to be able to get the gospel riding on Billy Graham's back, if you will. So uh, it's here for you if you want to get it. Josh? Yeah. All right. So here we go on marriage. Uh, <laughs> this is great. Friday, I'm working on the, on the message Forgive me if I don't look quite right. I have a nice sweater on under this, but I promised the guys I would wear CareFest. So there it is. CareFest is a great thing. All right. And I can't wear a CareFest site this year, actually, because, you know, I'm sick. So other people will do our mulching. Uh, I may try to get sick every year. Okay, so I'm working in my little prayer chair on Friday morning, studying for the sermon, and Marie comes bounding down the stairs, and she says to me, study, study, study. And then she says, you got that marriage thing figured out yet, honey? (laughs) And she's kind of, you know, being humorous, and I just go, no. (laughs) And then silently, without saying it, 39 years I've been at this, I still ain't got it. (laughs) Yeah, right, like us all. Uh, But she was in a great mood, and she goes, well, I do. And I go, what is it? She says, just tell them to be nice to one another. So thank you for coming today. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) It's not bad counsel, is it? Just be nice to each other. All right. So uh, if you have a Bible, please open it now to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 2, and we'll also be a bit in chapter 3. For those of you who didn't bring a Bible or have one to turn on, we provide it for you in the uh, back of the chairs, and it's the very first book, and like the second page in is what we're dealing with today. I'm reading now from the 15th verse of chapter 2, through the end, and then chapter three, six through nine. Here we go. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God then said, it is not good for the man to be alone. 
I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs. He then closed up the place with flesh, and then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man." That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Chapter 3, starting verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Then also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together. They made coverings for themselves. And then the man and the woman heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? Thus ends the reading of our scripture this morning. The first thing that jumps out at us there as we look at verse 18 again is it is not good for the man to be alone. Now many people will say that that aloneness is the first thing declared not good in the Bible. But it's actually the second when I read to you verses 15 and 16, that can't be missed because in the perfection and the purity and the beauty of the garden, they were warned, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For once you eat of it, you will die. And it doesn't mean literal physical death at that point. It means everything about you and your life will start decomposing at that point because now you know what evil is. You'll think thoughts you never knew you could think and you'll do things you never imagined you could do. That's what happens when we know evil. So that's the first thing they weren't to do. And then the second thing that wasn't good, not good for man to be alone. Wow. That's something we kind of know innately, I, I, I think. It's, it's this loneliness thing that is such a part of life. Again, as I'm working on this and being somebody who, you know, I have songs that flow through me all the time. Just ask Marie or ask any of the staff. I'm not pleasant to be around because things pop in and out. So I was thinking about this loneliness thing and how real it is, and like five songs just popped out of me just like that. And the first one was way back in the 50s. Contemporary of Elvis was Roy Orbison, and he did this song, Only the... Only the lone bum 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 ba do And it's a sad song. Oh, the way I 
feel tonight. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. You know, you're kind of hoping it's going to get over quick. Uh, <laughs> loneliness. Um, the Beatles follow later, and, and, and McCartney's great song, Eleanor Rigby, and, and the concept of these people who are so alone in life, both Eleanor Rigby, who picks up the rice in the church where the wedding had been, lives in her dreams, and Father Mackenzie darning his socks in the night when there's nobody there. Nobody cares. And then, of course, it goes, all the lonely people, where do they all come from? You know that. It's a haunting melody. Gilbert O'Sullivan uh, who talks about uh, being alone again naturally. He, he writes about uh, being stood up at it on his wedding day. Then he writes about his dad dying. Then he writes about his mom dying. And I cried and cried all day and I'm alone again naturally. On it goes. America uh, writes the song, this is for all the lonely people. Thinking that life is bad. Loneliness is a common thing for us. Neil Diamond, I am, I said to no one there. No one heard me at all, not even the chair. I am, I cried. I am, said I, and I'm lost, and I can't even say why, but it's leaving me lonely still. No wonder Billy Graham writes about loneliness, and this is what he says to us. I have often said that loneliness is the predominant attitude in our culture. A person can be lonely in the midst of a party. They can be lonely in a crowd. Loneliness may be experienced by the rich and the famous or the poor and the own unknown. And he'll also say later in another writing, with Christ as your savior and companion, though alone, you'll never be lonely. That's the hope that we have in Christ. So when this starts out by saying it is not good for the man to be alone, we understand that. Now, we just finished a big survey in our church, and many of you thankfully filled it out. We know that about 75% of our adults are married. We know about 25% of our adults are single for whatever reasons that that is. Just um, it could be loss of, of, of a spouse. It could be never married. It could be divorced, et cetera, et cetera. Here's the point I want to make and a point I'll make today. Loneliness is not consigned to only those that aren't married. There are a ton of incredibly lonely people in marriage. Why? Because they put on fig leaves and hide from one another. We're going to talk about it as we go on here. Now, why is loneliness such a calamity? Because when God created us, chapter 1, verse 26, he created us, says, in his own likeness. And he, and he actually says in this whole thing, let us, plural, make mankind in our image, plural. Those of us who follow Christianity know that we believe that there's one God and three persons. From the very beginning, the beginning doesn't even work. There never was not God. And God has been in community with himself, Father, Son, and Spirit from the very beginning when he creates humans, uh, male and female. He creates us in his own image and likeness. He created us for relationships. We'll never not be lonely if we're not in relationships. 
We were created to be we persons, not me persons. We were created for community. So no wonder he feels alone. Then the Lord God says, and I'm back in verse 18 again, I will make a helper suitable for him. A suitable helper. (laughs) Now, it's tough to kind of put this one word in the Hebrew as one word, and that's why they say suitable helper. The reason is, is because helper would have just meant that a lesser person who comes to serve uh, the one who's in charge, and that's not what this word means. It says, in fact, the NLT defines it like this, a helper that is just right, a counterpart, someone that is complementary to Adam, a compadre, a companion. It's actually derived from a military term this concept of helper. And if you think of uh, Israel at war, the Hebrews at war, oftentimes you have a frontal attack that goes against an enemy and then you might bring another part of your army from the side. It's not that this is the most important part, this is equally as important and together the two can crush the enemy. It's, it's the meeting of equals, counterpart. And, and Marie makes me a better man, and God willing, I make her a better woman. Counterparts. Working together to make a difference in the world. Suitable helper. All right, a helper that is just right. I love what uh, Matthew Henry has written about it, the uh, commentator from long ago. God didn't take the woman from his, Adam's head to be his superior nor from his foot to be his inferior, but from his side to be his equal, companion, complementary, like two armies together to crush an enemy. So that's what it is. Now, I think, you guys, as you read this passage a little more, right after verse 18, it goes on to say that Adam continues, you know, to, to name all the animals and he's out there and he's, he's doing what he's supposed to do and he gives names to all the livestock, the birds, the wild animals. Then it says at the end of verse 20, it says, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. I think the way that that's all written, first of all, it covers a period of time. Secondly, I think Adam was looking at everything he saw, hoping to find his suitable helper, his counterpart, his compadre, his companion. He was looking for the her, not even knowing what a her was yet. And, and I just want to say it's pretty, pretty much the way most of us did it, always looking out there before marriage, if we wanted to get married, try to find the right person, the right spouse. Adam, he doesn't find. Elephant, you want to be an elephant? Fine. I don't think it's the elephants, God. I don't, I don't think there's a suitable helper there. For one thing, they're big. They're really big. And second of all, I don't find them attractive. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so, but he's looking. Now, 
This is really cool. It says, but for Adam, there was no suitable helper. Then verse 21 says, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs. He then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The Lord God made her. The Lord God found her for him. The Lord God finds him for her. And that is a practice that should never be diminished. If you're one of those persons that's looking for a life mate, relax. You're not going to be real good at it. But if you trust God, you trust God to bring the right person. I remember when I was in my early 20s, I was still a youth pastor out in California, and I used to spend almost once a week with the, the guy I thought was the smartest man in our church. He was a lawyer by the name of Ed Barr. He was in his mid-40s. We would go for walks around a lake together, and he'd throw Socratic sorts of questions at me, and I'd feedback. He really trained me up so well in God. And I remember the day, because I was, I was really... Uh, longing for a mate. Here I am, a single youth pastor, and I didn't get married to Marie until I was 26. And, um, but I, he, he knew what I, and he says to me one day, he says, you know, I used to think, I used to think that almost any, any woman would do that you can make marriage work with almost anybody. And I'm thinking, jeez, that isn't the way the Beatles sing about it. <laughs> you know, it's this special... He says, but now after having been married to Dorothy for over 20 years, I'm convinced only God could have known that she's what I needed and that I'm what she needed. It was a God thing. I give that to you guys. Remember that. Well, anyhow, Adam really likes the whole thing. It's kind of a song that he almost writes there. Verse 23, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. So it's a, it's a beautiful rendition of the perfection of the one that had been chosen for him. And that just brought me to thinking about a Gershwin tune this week. Yeah, it's the way my mind works. Uh, so I'm going to force it on you as well. Written way back in 1938. It's very clear our love is here to stay. Not for a year, forever and a day. And then listen to this line. This is real good. In time the Rockies may tumble, Gibraltar may crumble. They're only made of clay, but our love is here to stay. And that's what Adam was doing all day long after he saw Eve. <laughs> our love is here to stay. Now, all right, all right. All right, now. Now watch here what happens next. So we move away from loneliness and the suitable helper and now 23 through 25 after she has come. Uh, verse 24, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Okay, now here's the kind of theme I put down for that. You'll see it on the screen. Leave, cleave, and be naked. 
This, now, some of you laughed at naked because you thought I was just talking about physical intimacy. No, 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 no. Much more than that that's being talked about here. But this leaving and cleaving. Uh, a wonderful book has been written on marriage by my dear friend Jerry Root, one of the professors over at Wheaton. And I quote him now at this point. He says, We experience in marriage a closeness we are designed to undergo and yet one that we are not adept at accomplishing. Anyone agree with that? Let me read it again. We experience in marriage a closeness we are designed to undergo. That's what takes away much of our loneliness. And then it says, yet one we are not adept at accomplishing. Boy, Marie and I would certainly say that. Marriage answers our innate loneliness but with a form of profound discomfort. I see lots of people that are married going, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair amount of discomfort in this whole deal here. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Part of that is because of the leave concept. Leave your father and mother. This is talking about a lot more than just moving out of the house. It's talking, first of all, leaving yourself as the center of your universe. Marriage forces you, if it's going to be a good marriage, to immediately give up the notion that this is all about me and you're here for me, right? Won't work. Secondly, it's about literally the background of our childhoods, of our adolescence, of our early adulthood, perhaps. All of that stuff that was a part of our life is incredibly influential in seeing who we are and seeing how we interpret life. And some of it just has to be left because Marie came with her worldview because of her childhood and adolescence and I came with mine. I remember the time she and I, I think we were engaged and we had her over for barbecue at my parents' house and my dad barbecued chicken and Marie told me afterwards she felt so sorry for my dad. And I said, honey, why were you sorry for my dad? She says, because he, he burned the chicken. I mean, you couldn't tell the difference between the bones and the meat. And I said, that's how we like it. <laughs> now, that's a simple thing of difference, right? But it can also get extremely severe. Uh, my family, and, and Marie said this to me years later, she thinks it's because of the, of the catastrophe of my little brother's death. Uh, when he drowned in our swimming pool and I was two years old, that it had on all, all of us that we as, as mother, father, brother, and, and then sister came along that were survivors of that, we kind of closed down emotionally. The wounding was so great uh, that, that, that we, we carried on a fine life. I lived in a wonderful home, et cetera, et cetera, but we never talked really about feelings. We never got beyond that kind of peripheral hey, life is fine, work was okay, and yeah, I got an A on that test. But as far as going deeper into our souls, she, she noticed we didn't do that. Now, her family was extremely expressive emotionally, emotively. And so that's why she could see it. But at the same time, her family fell apart. Her dad abandons the family for another woman and is married to someone else. And it happens during Marie's adolescence. That's a horrendous wounding. And so when we came together, 
we were wounded people. I was wounded emotionally and she was wounded with trust issues for men probably. We all bring that with us. And so this text is saying part of what you have to do is leave that which is evil and hurts you from your past and cleave to that which is good. Yeah, to leave and to cleave. Um, the cleave part, and it has it here as united, united to his wife. Uh, the, the, the old King James has it as cleave, leave and cleave to it. Uh, but it's not just talking about the, the physical closeness that happens in marriage. Can you remember, uh, those of you that are married, when you fell in love? And many singles too, you remember when you fell in love? Okay. It wasn't just the attra physical attraction, was it? Wasn't everything about her perfect? Ladies, wasn't almost everything about him just right? The whole soul is captured in that infatuation. Uh, and the term eros, which is often used in the Greek language, uh, today's word is more erotica. It just has to do with the lust of the flesh. No, 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 no. The, the real meaning of eros is that the whole of that other is utterly attractive and winsome. Yeah, I, I could, uh, Marie could say things, and even the way she spoke, I go, isn't that lovely? It, uh, uh, I don't know that I've ever heard a tone coming from another person quite as beautiful as that. <laughs> it's everything. It, it's our mind. It's our feelings. It's our background. Oh, 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 wow, what a wonderful background you came from. Yeah, but my dad left. Yeah, but it was still really wonderful because you're a product of it. And, and, and infatuation's blind, but it's right in the sense that the initial attraction is to far more than just the body. It's, it's that person. It's her. It's him. And it says cleave to that, that the wholeness of those two souls come together in, in marriage and and. and and it's just, that, that word means as strong as glue that would hold two boards together that couldn't be separated. A great marriage is where you leave what you need to leave appropriately from your past and where you cleave and you share life in totality, all of your soul with that other. That's the beauty. And you let nothing, nothing pull that apart. This is the ideal of what marriage is to be. This is what Adam and Eve had. And there was no shame in their nakedness before each other, physical, emotionally, cognitively, imaginatively. There was only beauty. Remember, as of yet, there was no evil. Yeah, beautiful, isn't it? But uh, what happens is that other things start to take place and those other things that tar start to take place are danger zones. And we see in chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, uh, she was drawn to it for the lust of the food. She was drawn to it for the beauty of the tree and its fruit, it says. And she was drawn to it because the serpent, Satan, told her that once you eat of it, you will be like God. And you will know good and evil. I think he underplayed evil. They wouldn't have even known what that word meant. 
They had no capacity for it. They were in the age of innocence. But to be like God, oh yeah, something about that I like. Pride, power, etc. And And we want to cry out and we say, don't do it, Eve. Don't do it, woman. Don't do it, wife. Don't, 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 don't. Adam, you're there. Stop her. Adam, stop her. Don't let her do it. Because the whole human race is going to suffer if you do. And she does. And he does. And immediately it says, the eyes of them both were open, verse 7, and they realized they were naked. Well, they've been naked all along. But no, now shame and guilt is there. In their relationship with God, they've done what they were told not to do. They both blew it there. She seduces him to take the fruit, and he's there, and he doesn't protect her. Trust is broken. The cleaving breaks apart. And the appearance of the Hebrew here is a suggestion that Eve did not make fig leaves for Adam. It looks like Adam made his own, and she made her own because they were now like this. Trust broken, evil happened, separation from God. It was the breaking of absolutely everything. And this putting on the fig leaves was the, if you will, symbolically, the hiding of who I really am. I'm not good anyway. And now I hide, and I hide from God, and I hide from her, and she hides from me. And welcome to marriage in the 21st century. Still so clearly there. Hide, hide, hide. Verse 7 of chapter 3 is the opposite of verse 25. Chapter 2, they were naked and they were not ashamed versus they are naked and they realize they were and shame now covers their souls. That's what happened. They hurt each other breaks trust, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, there's a film that uh, came out in 2005, and you've probably never thought of this film if you've seen it in any kind of an application to this, but it does. And it's a film that was entitled Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Any of you ever watch it? Okay, who stars in it? Brad Pitt. Angelina Jolie, two relatively attractive humans. All right. And they're married, and the movie opens with them in a therapist's office to work on their marriage because they're having trouble with their physical compatibility, which surprises some people. All right. But as, as it's going on, the counseling session, and, and the camera is from the counselor's eyes, look, she hears them uh, talk past each other, she hears smite, uh, snide remarks made about each other, they had a horrendous fail, failure to communicate, and they've come to therapy for problems they thought just in their physical life, but in reality, they were covered with fig leaves. They didn't even know what each other did for a living, which is what? They're both highly trained assassins, work, and they didn't know they worked for other agencies. There was no communication between them any longer, and yet they have this lovely home, and they're there for therapy, and then the word comes down from each of their organizations that 
the other one is a spy and must be killed. And, and so the movie goes on, their beautiful home, which was their dream, they start warring with each other and they just about kill each other, but they're both so good at what they do, they can hurt each other, but they can't stop each other. And the whole house is torn asunder. Well, that's what happens in our marriages when we put on fig leaves and we break the cleaving. Everything's torn apart. And then they finally can't kill each other and they're worn out and they hug each other and have physical intimacy right there. And you think, well, maybe now they'll get honest with one another. Maybe this was the destruction of everything that was wrong about their marriages. Well, then what happens is the agencies here, they hadn't killed each other, and so the agencies send other assassins to kill them both. And they run out of the house, and they steal the neighbor's minivan. What's the minivan a symbol of? Family! Their house is already destroyed. They don't have a minivan. They get a minivan and they're stealing away these two highly trained assassins running for their lives. And as they're driving in the car, she looks at him as he's driving and she goes, my parents are dead. He goes, what? They died when I was 10. And he goes, well, then who was that man that gave you away at the wedding? He was a paid actor. I feel so naive. I brought my real parents to the wedding. After a pause, he says, ah, I said to myself even then that I thought I had seen that man in Fantasy Island. Here they are running away for their lives. Their house has been torn apart. Bullets have rained everywhere. Everything's asunder, but they're finally getting open and honest with each other. And then the cameraman, the director, focuses in on the rearview mirror, and dangling from the mirror is a cross. That's what leads us to verses 8 and 9. As bad as things got for them, Adam and Eve, and they were bad. We don't know how long. Was it years? Was it decades? Was it centuries? Who knows? But their lives had fallen apart. Verse 8 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. It was the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But we end with verse nine. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? They may have separated from God. God would not separate from them even though the atrocious reality of evil was now going to infect everything and everyone. He comes to them. He's the original seeker. He is the one that seeks us when we don't seek him. And he is the one that seeks to bring wholeness to our broken selves, our broken relationships, our broken creation. He's not content to leave them broken from him. And so he walks in the garden. And when he meets them, 
the next verses, we don't have time to spend much on them. He asks them to tell, uh, he tells them the truth about what they have done. He tells them the consequences that will occur. He tells them the battle that through their actions that has begun between the seen world and the unseen world, Satan and his demons. He tells them the truth, but then his promise is, is that he will be with them. He even tells them to take off their fig leaves and clothe them in the animal skins, which means that animals died as a result of this. It could be the beginning of the sacrificial system for the forgiveness of our sins. One verse that he says when he's speaking specifically to Eve is this, and we'll put it on the screen for you, 315. I will put enmity, enmity between you. Sorry, I lost my place. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and your offspring will crush Satan's head and you, Satan, will strike his heel. This is pointing somewhere ahead, isn't it? Martin Luther says this verse, chapter 3, verse 15, is the first time that the gospel is preached. What does it mean? The Lord God who's walking in the garden now and won't leave them in their sins is the same one who will walk in a garden thousands of years later having pushed aside a stone and risen from the dead. And he is the one that will crush Satan's powers for us. The nearness of God from Genesis to the empty tomb is the same. Regardless of our blunders and our stumbers and all that we do wrong, he won't leave us alone. He seeks us and he calls us to himself. Now, if you believe that you have a, a fig leaf marriage, I have good news for you. First of all, it's going to take hard work. Number one, it takes profound humility to have a beautiful marriage. Why? You first got to admit you don't have it together, and that helps you not to blame the other so much. It takes courage. Someone's got to start. Angelina Jolie starts when she just says that little thing, my parents didn't come to the wedding. And sometimes you'll get shut down. Because what? Because when your marriage is a fig leaf marriage, you carry fears and hurts and bitternesses and unforgiveness that is there and it's one to the other and no one's all right and no one's all wrong, but it's all there. And it takes courage to just say, I'm going to try to get close again. And then it takes perseverance because it doesn't come quick. Most of all, it takes the one who's behind that cross swinging from the rearview mirror. It takes your full dependency on God to give you what you could never do alone. Look at this slide of the triangle that I put on the screen as I move toward closure here. As the husband and the wife draw nearer to God, what happens to them? They draw nearer to one another. So turn to God to help save your marriage and rid you of your fig leaves. But, but more than anything else, turn to God as a sole source of your true joy and your true love. Taste and see 
that the Lord is good. Lord, I have nothing apart from you. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are my deepest love. No wife can ever meet your deepest needs. No husband can ever meet your deepest needs. Only Jesus can do that. Seek Jesus and then seek to reconcile with one another. It's the cure for loneliness. Now, would you pray with me? And so, Lord, to you I give these words and I give you these hopes. Father, we are fig leaf people but we believe that if we'll seek you first, you will also give us the strength for humility, courage, and perseverance. Lord God, thank you for not leaving us alone when we had left you. In Jesus' name, amen.